Good morning and welcome once again to In Focus. I'm John Sims and joining us this morning back again and welcome Christina Tolliver from the East Texas Human Needs Network. Always great to have you with us. Great to get caught up on the many, many things you're doing, Christina. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me again. Sure thing. Don't forget In Focus is available online. Just go to ktbb.com slash In Focus. In Focus is uploaded to our website by the day after the show airs. Uh, Christina, coming up on nine years, I think it'll be in August, very first meeting of the East Texas Human Needs Network. How far we've come since then, how far we still have to go, not least because of COVID-19, but most importantly, because of the ongoing human needs that persist, whether there is a pandemic or not. And thankfully, that does appear to be fading into the sunset, as it were. Uh, for the uninitiated or folks who need a refresher course, let's start off with the basics about the East Texas Human Needs Network. You're the founder and the CEO and just the usual vision, mission, purpose, governance, values, things of that nature. Okay, thank you. Well, we were started because the needs in the community are far greater than any one organization can attain. But working together, we, we knew that we could make a difference. So our mission actually is to have a community in which everyone can live well, which means we'll be addressing barriers. And so our mission, and we have over 100 member organizations, is a network of individuals and organizations that are working together for strengthening programs, for connection among each other, relationships, and ultimately for an improved awareness of services that exist or that need to exist, and we work together on that, that meet essential human needs. Uh, governance. Let's go through this just so people will get an idea how that breaks down. I know that's evolved over the years as well. Um, our governance is, is made up. We have six councils now, and there's a chair for each council. These are representatives of organizations in the fields, education, employment, health, behavioral health, housing, and transportation. And collectively, we make up a steering council. Okay. And this is something, and this is off your website, which, by the way, is ethnn.org. And it's okay, maybe even advisable to call it Ethan. I think you picked up that little kind of nickname a few years ago. But uh, voice, responsiveness, and community building, those are really the building blocks, I think, of what you do on a day-in, day-out basis. Uh, voice is critical. And I think perhaps unique in the sector in that we respect the voice of those that we serve, that we gather information from them and that the work that we do is based on their voice, on respecting uh, what people in poverty in our community say are their barriers and say are their greatest needs. Okay, and then there's responsiveness. You value that responsiveness to the needs of the community. Absolutely, it's, it's really responding to those needs and being flexible enough to change course if if that is what is needed mm -hmm. and here is really the, the crux of it all community building i guess also known as collective impact the collective impact model which you adopted probably uh, just a few years into uh, the group organization's existence is really what you build everything on isn't it absolutely the understanding that if we all have uh, a shared vision a common agenda, we all agree on what the issues are and how we want to respond to them, that whether we do it individually or as a collective, ultimately there is a collective impact to the mm. community. All righty. And a disclaimer here, full disclosure, I actually happen to be a member of the East Texas Human Needs Network. Thank you for uh, 
not sending a search party out for me since I'm never able to attend any of the meetings anymore. But uh, this is an organization that I've supported personally for a long time and certainly has a lot of support within the community. But I just wanted to make sure we got that out there. Uh, Christina, um, there are several areas that I think we really want to focus on today. And uh, you told me ahead of time that you would like to talk mainly about the work Ethan is doing to address all four causes of poverty, the first of those being behavior of the individual. And I know you have some very interesting and worthwhile observations about how that plays into all of it. And, and all of this stems from the, uh, the work of Dr. Ruby Payne, a book that she wrote many years ago called A Framework for Understanding Poverty, and then subsequent research that has taken place. Um, talking of the topic of poverty, uh, can be emotional, can be polarizing. And what we have found is that there are four big buckets that, um, that hold the causes of poverty. And one of those buckets is behavior of the individual. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know how often we hear people say uh, that it is the fault of the person who lives in poverty, that if they would just try right. harder, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we've learned through many years of research and interaction and relationships that, yes, behavior of the individual sometimes can cause or perpetuate poverty, but it is really uh, community conditions and exploitation and policies and ultimately the relationships that we build with individuals in poverty that are either going to help them get out of poverty or remain where they are. Mm-hmm. Christina Tolliver, our guest this morning on In Focus from East Texas Human Needs Network. I'm John Sims. Uh, that word relationships, with me personally, that's right up there with collective impact. So much of what I have learned and gleaned and my almost 32 years in Tyler working with people like you and other folks around the community who are in the know about these things relationships can be so important can you talk about that a little bit maybe sort of give us a thumbnail model of what it's like to build a relationship with just say any given person that uh, you're trying to help trying to work with it has to be a balanced it has to be a balanced relationship there has to be give and take there has to be respect on both sides and often when we don't understand poverty the environment of poverty and why people make the decisions that they make, we try to influence them with the things that would motivate us, mm-hmm. those of us who may be from middle class or even wealth. And our environments being so different means that we are motivated differently. Uh, people in middle class are motivated by achievement. Everything we do, every choice we make impacts our future. Mm-hmm. People in poverty often do not have a future story. So what motivates them more than anything is relationships, and relationships is what helps them survive. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd like to uh, throw out a term here, neighbors, and this actually came out of um, the organization that you uh, headed up when you first moved to Tyler. That's PATH. Over the last few years, they have moved towards that model uh, instead of referring to their Uh, the people they work with as clients, they refer to them as neighbors. And even a single word like that, in my view, can uh, make a world of difference in building these kinds of relationships. It does. It gives you a different framework. Um, And framework has a lot to do with, um, with impact. So are we looking at someone as somebody who is needy or as somebody as who is needed? Is it somebody that we can learn to appreciate and gain from? Or is it somebody that's just needs us and so absolutely uh, 
referring to individuals who may need our help as our neighbor, mm -hmm. um, this changed the framework. Mm -hmm. uh, let's move on to uh, the second cause of poverty, and these obviously are all intertwined, but exploitation, big, big problem, and certainly something that Ethan has been very much focused on, I'm, I'm sure, probably, really, since the beginning. Live, yes, and living in poverty actually costs more than living in middle class, and that may sound foreign to many people. But when you live in a community where the only place where you can get food is a corner store or even a dollar store, if you put those uh, your, your shopping list and you shop at one of these places versus a grocery store or even a Walmart, it costs more to live in poverty than it does in mm -hmm. middle class. We also have exploitation in the real true sense in that we have payday lenders and title loan lenders that in the state of Texas are not capped on interest and fees that they can charge. So someone who may need to borrow a small amount of money ends up caught in a cycle of debt with interest rates and fees upwards of 500%. Mm -hmm. And unless you've ever needed or found yourself in a situation where you needed a payday loan or a title loan, you don't even know that that is happening to people. But people are being exploited, and so we want to work to address that as well. Okay, and I understand you um, have uh, formed a task force that's uh, working with this, possibly looking at uh, changing uh, city uh, a city ordinance, I believe is the way you put it, yeah. That's correct. We developed a group of interested individuals to do research, uh, to actually interview and visit every payday lender and every auto title lender mm. to first make sure that they're even abiding by the laws that we do have. And then we also interviewed people who are caught in that cycle of poverty or caught in that cycle of debt uh, to learn more about those individuals who are borrowing. And sadly, what we find is that a small crisis ends up being a long-term debt and that many of the people that are caught in those cycles are also going to social services organizations seeking assistance. Um, they may even uh, uh, qualify for, um, for state benefits, for food stamps, for mm -hmm. temporary assistance for needy families, for child care assistance. And in part, it's because they're caught in this horrific cycle and they simply can't get out. So yes, one of the things that we want to do is work with our city government to pass an ordinance that would cap the amount of money that can be charged in interest and fees. Okay. Uh, Christina Tolliver with the East Texas Human Needs Network, founder and CEO, our guest this morning on In Focus. I'm John Sims. Progress with that. Uh, how is it coming along and do you have any kind of a time frame uh, during which you think you might uh, be able to uh, actually get something done in this regard? Yes, we're, we're capturing data. It, it always starts with research for us. It starts with research on what exists in the community, what barriers exist for individuals. Um, and how they're being affected. So we've gathered a lot of information. We're in the process of actually um, filming um, video, a documentary of sorts for our own community, mm -hmm. interviewing individuals who are affected by this. And uh, once we have an opportunity to educate our community on what is happening and how people are affected, then we will have, I think, a greater opportunity to work with our mayor and our city council for greater understanding and the possibility of, of passing this unified 
ordinance that has already passed, actually, in 43 other cities in the state of Texas. Okay. And what, later this year, you think? or Yes, maybe? probably towards the end of the year. Okay. Um, it, it always takes a little bit longer than you think, and, and COVID slows everything down. Yeah, and COVID uh, <laughs> definitely... Um, Kind of the not not as big as it used to be. Elephant in the room, if that's uh, I don't know that, that wasn't too bad for something I came up with off the top of my head. We'll <laughs> definitely get to that a little bit later in the show, but um, okay, interesting, and I'm sure you'll be keeping us up to speed on that. And we know that these things take a long time because if you want to do all that research, you just you know, dotting all the i's and crossing all the t's is not something that you can do with a snap of a finger. Obviously, uh, community conditions. Uh, let's talk about that and how that. Uh, plays into the work that you do and how it affects your neighbors. Community conditions um, is probably what we base most of our work on is uh, what are the education opportunities? What is educational attainment like? Um, community conditions can either propel you forward or keep you back. So as an example, are we graduating kids from high school that are fully prepared to be successful in college? Um, do we have GED programs uh, where people can access the class and complete the course and, and get their GED and move forward? Are we paying decent wages? Do we have good jobs? And then do those jobs pay well or have benefits or not? Do we have transportation uh, services that allow people to get to work and back home safely? So there are many different conditions um, that make up a community, including access to health care, access to behavioral health care, um, housing, where housing is available and whether or not housing is affordable. Each and every one of those things make up our community and the community conditions that will either assist people who are transitioning out of poverty or, sadly, keep them where they are. Mm -hmm. Political and economic structure is always, always a big player, um, and I know you have quite a bit to say about that. Political and, and economic structures pay, uh, play a big role on whether or not we can remove barriers um, that have become institutionalized. Often people say that those in poverty have become dependent on what we used to call welfare, right? The welfare state. Yeah. The people become dependent on that. And sadly, if you look at the data, it shows why people do in fact become dependent. And one example would be if there is a young mom that qualifies for childcare assistance through Texas Workforce Commission mm -hmm. and she gets a raise, 25 cents. And it puts her over the threshold that made her eligible for childcare assistance. What she stands to lose is so much greater than what she was gaining with that raise. Mm -hmm. And so, sadly, sometimes people do not accept the raise, do not accept the better job, because they're losing $500 worth of childcare assistance and gaining maybe $50 in income. And mm -hmm. this, the math simply doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so it's happening across the spectrum with state and federal programs that what people lose is so abrupt. We call it the benefits cliff. So instead of people losing benefits gradually as their income increases, their income increases just a little bit and they lose everything all at once. Mm. Kind of a modern-day twist on the old between-a-rock-and-a-hard-place model, I guess. Christina Tolliver of the East Texas Human Needs Network, our guest this morning on In Focus. I'm John Sims, and um, I, you sounded like you were just getting ready to make a comment about something or other. 
No. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> not not much you could add or to I what was, you and already I don't said. remember. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and um, for the first time, you tell me, uh, Ethan actually played an advocacy role. You, uh, unfortunately for you, did not get what you were looking for. I believe you actually sent some people to Austin to advocate, partnering with a national organization that's been in existence for decades called the Children's Defense Fund. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Uh, we're very fortunate to have had a relationship with Children's Defense Fund Texas and those representatives that are in our area. And so we were asked uh, months ago if we would partner with them on a campaign to expand health care coverage. And, of course, the legislative session just ended. Mm -hmm. and, um, and sadly, we did not get the gains that we hoped for. There are 1.4 million Texas that do not have health coverage, which means they don't have access to health care. And sadly, that is affecting not only lives, um, but it affects each and every one of us. When somebody ultimately turns to an emergency department for assistance, and then that is not paid for. Um, the county government will eventually pay for that, and our taxes, our taxes will go up. Ultimately, not helping individuals access health care affects everyone. Mm -hmm. um, let's move on to some other topics now. Before I do that, uh, some contact information. I've been a little bit remiss in getting that out. You're at ethnn.org, and you have Facebook and Twitter as far as social media go. 903-216-3211 uh, is the phone number to call if anybody wants to give you a call, and there are a lot of reasons people might want to. I don't know if we were, uh, mentioned early in, early in the show that membership is inclusive and there is no cost. If we didn't say that, I think it's certainly worth mentioning that again. If anything we're talking about this morning interests you and you think you might want to be a member of Ethan, they will gladly have you join up. And... Um, Moving on to uh, actually getting deeper into some of the things we've already discussed and keeping in mind that collective action model that you described for us earlier, understanding poverty. Now, we talked about this earlier in the show just a few minutes ago, as a matter of fact, but uh, you have exercises and uh, seminars and workshops that are geared towards understanding poverty and uh, the first one is the poverty simulation exercise you just completed another one of those this past week but that has uh, i've known about this for a number of years tell us a little bit about how the poverty simulation exercise works i know it's a real eye-opener for the participants it is it's a, it's an experience it's a three and a half hour experience those who come to participate become an individual within a family structure and that individual and the family members have a certain amount of education, income, uh, home expenses, and they have children that may need to go to school. They're trying to survive either with very low income or with no income at all. And this experience puts them in a neighborhood with other individuals in the same facing the same circumstances and the object of the activity is to survive one month in poverty mm -hmm. during this activity they have to make sure that they go to the doctor if they're sick that they pay their rent and their utilities that they get a job if they don't have one that they apply for benefits that they take good care of their child 
It is an experience that is eye-opening for most individuals who don't understand poverty, and it's only three and a half hours, but it really can be very impactful. Many of our participants are um, medical school students, uh, residents and interns, also educators, even students in universities uh, and high schools participate in poverty simulations. Mm -hmm. I know it's become a very popular model all around the country and maybe even beyond within the human needs social services community. Christina Tolliver, founder CEO of the East Texas Human Needs Network, our guest this morning on In Focus. I'm John Sims. Welcome if you're just joining us. And uh, the other one, this one is actually coming up in a few days. June 9th and 10th, you have your latest Bridges Out of Poverty workshop. That's also very interesting in some of the same ways, but it's... Uh, really kind of different. I guess it's more uh, proactive. Uh, the, the term bridges out of poverty, I'm sure, says quite a bit right there. It, it's really purposeful for people to understand poverty who uh, may have lived in it, but they were so in in the woods that they couldn't see outside, couldn't gain perspective about mm -hmm. their life. Uh, people in middle class and in wealth who simply have never experienced it can go through this course, understand the power of environment, understand that there are hidden rules in every economic class, the power of language, what resources people must have in order to stabilize their lives and whether or not they have access to those resources. Having all of this knowledge helps us understand why people make the decisions that they make, mm -hmm. how to build a relationship of trust, and ultimately, um, help people become independent. Mm -hmm. The next Bridges Out of Poverty workshop is going to be June 9th and 10th. Still time to register and a biggie here. This will be your first in-person workshop of any type or form since the pandemic began. So that's certainly got to be good news. Yes, we're all really looking forward to uh, being able to teach this course face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. We've taught it uh, through Zoom conferences. It's just not the same. You know, you lose so much virtually. Mm -hmm. So we're all excited to be able to start offering both poverty simulations and bridges classes in person. Okay. Uh, 903help.org. That's something that we always want to talk about on the show. And uh, getting back to um, uh, doing things online, but certainly this, uh, and I know you've uh, found that it's been a big help to you and uh, your neighbors and the people who are involved with your organization. Right. So we developed an online social services directory that is um, very user-friendly. It's 903help.org. Uh, the listings in that directory are from more than 100 member organizations that have been able to put in the language that people speak. So not in social services language, but in the language of those that we serve. Mm -hmm. A description of the program, who's eligible, how you apply. And, um, and, and we have 19 different sections. People can search in that directory uh, through keywords, like somebody needs help with a water bill. Mm -hmm. They can literally just write water bill. And what they get in return is what organizations can help them with that. Right. Um, and then there are section searches. But one really important piece that both social services providers and people in need use is a help form that is part of 903help.org, in which you do a self-assessment, 
It's anonymous. Nobody's going to get it. But when you submit the self-assessment, what you get in return is based on what you said you needed, these are the organizations that can help you. Mm -hmm. So it's a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. It certainly does sound like it. Uh, another thing we want to make sure we mention here, we uh, talked, we touched on mental health a few minutes ago. And I know not too long ago, we had Doug McSwain in from the East Texas Behavioral Health Leadership Team, which is a network or a consortium of different people interested in mental health issues. You're now the project coordinator for that. How is that going? And uh, how's it working as far as uh, building a partnership between the Behavioral Health Leadership Team and Ethan? Well, you know, Ethan had focused on many areas, but not behavioral health care, primarily because we have a strong partnership already, the Behavioral Health Leadership Team. Mm -hmm. It has representatives that are service providers for behavioral health, for primary health care. We have first responders. We have educators, nonprofits, academia are all partners. And... I'm helping to do what we do with the East Texas Human Needs Network. We've done research, and we've now developed action teams. One focuses on access to care. Again, this is behavioral health care, so mental health and substance use disorders. Okay. We are improving on a crisis system. We're working on prevention and early intervention, and then another big group on public education and community engagement. All right. Sounds like it's working out great for you. Christina Tolliver of the East Texas Human Needs Network, our guest this morning on In Focus. I'm John Sims. And 903-216-3211, um, the phone number if you want to give them a call. Um, ETHNN.org is the website. And uh, for now, I guess make that phone call or check that website to find out where some of the locations of the meetings are going to be as you move out of the uh, Zoom function and more into in-person meetings. As a matter of fact, you, you still have regular meetings, and I understand these are done in a format similar to what you were doing at uh, pretty much uh, right after Ethan started up in about 2012. You have a monthly joint meeting of all councils, and then you have uh, that, that lasts for a while, and then you do breakout sessions with the individual uh, councils. That's correct. So it is still a very similar model. We'd been doing it through Zoom. The attendance is much lower than when we were doing them in person, but it is. We have them monthly on the third Tuesday of the month from 1.30 to 3, and it is about bringing everyone together, staying connected, following the research, and then working together to address the top needs. Okay, and you hope to go back to an in-person format on that in the month of July. That's the uh, working goal at the moment, I That's understand. correct. Yeah. Behavioral Health Leadership Team, uh, this month in June, you hope to go back to in-person meetings. Yes, we did a poll at our last meeting, and we all decided that we work more effectively face-to-face. -face. People felt safe, like, like so many of us. We've gotten our vaccines, and it really does change everything, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it does. So right there, we've covered a lot of the COVID issue. Ethan is in pretty much the same situation as just about everyone else. You're working your way out of it, but not all the way yet. And you don't want to, as uh, some of the uh, health and political leaders keep saying, we're not out of the woods yet. But there is a lot more light at the end of the tunnel than there had been just maybe a few months ago. Uh, you're a 501c3. People can donate online. It's very easy to do. Just go to that ethnn.org website, and it won't be very difficult to find the uh, donation tab. As far as volunteering, the best way anybody can volunteer is to join and become active in the group. Are there other volunteer opportunities as well? There are specific volunteer opportunities with the poverty simulations, in fact. 
we're always looking for volunteers for that. And they can also go to ethnn.org and find those volunteer opportunities on the website. All righty. Getting down close to the end of the show. I'm just under three minutes left. And let's look back nine years ago, actually a little less than nine years ago, in August of 2012, if I remember correctly, that uh, meeting we had in the Cotton Belt Building. I have a better memory. <laughs> what a memory. Than, <laughs> a better memory than I deserve. Uh, let's look at back then and now. How far, we know we have a lot to do. It's a day in, day out process. How far has the community come? How far has Ethan come in the last nine years? Well, we've grown, we've grown in numbers and in recognition. Uh, we do better research. We teach more courses uh, to a, a much broader audience. And uh, we're following our mission to make sure that people know about the services that are available, that we have relationships with one another. Um, so I think we've grown and we're still, we're still growing. Mm -hmm. So the community is a better place now for what you feel, for, for what you've done in the last I really believe so. We do research every three years to identify the top needs. And whether we've addressed those needs collectively or individually through different organizations, uh, the numbers are changing mm -hmm. and we're seeing progress. That's good. Um, is there any one specific area that you maybe want to, as we uh, get close to the end of the show, that you want to um, point out as maybe... Uh, showing the, the greatest need or is it just is that too tough a call to make because there's so much need out there the need is tremendous isn't it and and i have a very um broad view of what those needs are but i think if we if we really want to change the future of our community we must focus attention on children and their parents mm -hmm. and if we can do that we can change the future all right i'm glad i asked because children and parents i mean that, that's really where it all begins it's really where it all begins there are so many other social service agencies out there that focus on women and children moms and kids whatever parents and kids and i'm i'm glad you mentioned that about to wrap up the show but again christina tolliver from east texas human needs network our guest this morning on in focus want to get in touch Easy, ethnn.org. They have Facebook and Twitter if you like to do the social media thing, and who doesn't these days? Phone number is 903-216-3211. Christina, as always, great to have you back, and I'm glad you have so much good news to share, even though the struggle continues. Um, certainly, uh, we appreciate it, and do stay in touch. Thank you so much. You bet. Christina Tolliver, East Texas Human Needs Network, our guest this morning on In Focus. I'm John Sims. Thanks for joining us. See you again next week on In Focus.